Welcome to the latest episode of Your Wealth with Gemma Dale, a podcast series designed to help you create, grow and protect your wealth. Hi and welcome to this episode of Your Wealth. I'm Gemma Dale, NAB Trades Director of SMSF and Investor Behaviour. Well, we're coming to the close of 2022 and it's been a really eventful year. When you look back, it's been quite shocking in many ways. I think we felt after COVID that was it for the events, but maybe not. If you've held an ASX 200 ETF over the calendar year, though, you may find you're actually largely unaffected. We were joined earlier this year by Henry Jennings of Marcus Today, and he's kindly agreed to join us again to wrap the year, to talk about what's worked and what hasn't and how to think about the year or years ahead. Henry, thanks so much for joining me. Absolute pleasure, Gemma. Always great to chat. uh, It's great to have you. Look, it's been an extraordinary year. When you consider we've had war in Europe for the first time Mm. in, what, seven decades or something, soaring energy prices, eight interest rate increases after the RBA said we should expect zero for two years. What are you making of it all? Well, it has been an extraordinary. I I guess if we'd have been talking this time uh, last year, and you just sort of done the uh, what's in store for 2022. None of those things would really be on the horizon. We'd have been talking about reopening economies, that sort of thing, maybe supply chains, et cetera, uh, and, and the, the sort of global growth story. We wouldn't really have been talking about entrenched inflation, although we are seeing that coming off a little bit in the US. We certainly wouldn't be considering a war in Europe. And when you say in 70 years, that makes me feel quite old because although I, I wasn't around, obviously, in the Second World War, um, my parents were. They were evacuated from London. And it, it, it's an awful long time ago. So it's a massive, massive disruption to uh, the European economy. It's caused some massive dislocations in terms of trying to get energy for Europe. And if you just said there'd be a war in Europe and gold would be down and oil would be down, I would have just said, nah, really? That that can't be. I mean, oil is lower now than it was pre the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. So it is. it has been an interesting year. I have to say it's been volatile and uh, we have seen uh, inflation and interest rates dominate the headlines almost on a daily basis since, well, since the beginning of the year, I guess. It is just incredible. Yeah, <laughs> it clearly points out the dangers of making forecasts because <laughs> yeah, we're well, all yeah. very wrong. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, I know the same thing happened in 2020. We all had excellent forecasts for the year and then COVID came along and we were all locked in our houses and had no idea what was coming next. It's uh, It's been incredible. But the bit that I think is extraordinarily telling for investors is you've watched all of this happen. Commodity prices, energy prices anyway, have been just extraordinarily volatile. Mm. We've had war, we've had inflation come out of nowhere, according to uh, to the European Central Bank, as others would argue we knew very well that it was coming. But you know, <laughs> yeah. depending on your perspective, we had central banks saying no interest rate increases and then gave us eight two yeah. years early. And there's a lot, you know, there's a lot going on. And yet, incredibly, the ASX is pretty much flat for the year. If you exclude dividends, if you yeah. include dividends, you've actually done just fine, particularly with franking. Do you yeah. think that's people's experience? Do you think that's how they felt this year has been? No, I think that's very much not how they felt this year. Uh, the mark, the market really has been dominated, I guess, by uh, the the two big 
sectors, uh, the banks, which have done well this year and obviously have paid very high dividends. And once again, we've we've seen that the big four banking machine continue to basically print money and have been beneficiaries of the higher interest rate environment through that net interest margin. And we saw that recently with the Bendigo and Adelaide Bank results, that uh, sort of reluctance to pass on higher deposit rates while at the same time uh, passing on very quickly uh, mortgage rate increases has been very beneficial for banks and bank share prices. The other thing that I think has been driving this market and may have given us this warm and fuzzy glow that perhaps a lot of investors haven't felt is, of course, BHP, which you know is 11% of the market. This time last year, I was doing an advent calendar thing for uh, Osbys, and my tip for 2023 was BHP. And uh, it has been an extraordinary year for BHP when you consider the amount of money they've paid in dividends. You know, these mining stocks have been very, very generous with dividends because they have been making hay while the sun shines. And also the fact that they've spun out their oil and gas assets to Woodside. So if you couple the Woodside sort of uh, merger with the dividends, you have done extraordinarily well just by holding BHP over the year. And of course, it's such a big part of our index that has distorted to some extent the performance of the ASX. If you'd have gone all defensive and you'd have bought the likes of you know, Woolies and those sorts of stocks, you would have had a pretty miserable year. Um, if you'd have, um, you know, if you'd have looked at, um, you know, coals and those sorts of things, you haven't done that well. You haven't gone too far backwards uh, in some senses, but you haven't done extraordinarily well. I mean, something like Woolies, I think, started the year at thirty-eight bucks. is now thirty-four bucks, and that's not something you would have really expected in a sort of a defensive environment. So it really has been this year the resources and the banks that have driven the market and. Luckily, most Australian investors are, are long banks uh, for the franking credits, et cetera. But uh, a lot of people do avoid resources, which has probably cost them this year, uh, I have to say. You must be feeling very proud of yourself for that call. <laughs> well no, done. you got to no. take it when you get them right. Well, you, you do, but you know, you just you just get lucky sometimes. And uh, you know, at the time, there was an awful lot of talk about inflation that hadn't really reared its ugly head. Uh, we knew it was coming; it was a bit like Christmas, but uh, it hadn't really sort of become a part of the landscape. And everybody always tells you that the way to uh, to to counter inflation is through hard commodities, uh, and that uh, certainly with BHP has been the way of things. But you know, you would have thought. Given the the environment of iron ore with Chinese COVID lockdowns and all that sort of stuff, you would have think it had been a tough year for uh, for BHP. But as it's turned out, it really has been uh, a pretty good year for BHP. They did have a bit of a hiccup uh, during the year when they demerged uh, or delisted that dual listing structure that they had uh, with London. But you know, you look at BHP; they were thirty four bucks uh, at the uh, sort of the end of last year, thirty five. 36 bucks maybe. Um, and here we are at uh, $46 and you've got Woodside and you've got your dividends. So it has been a massively good story. Um, I'm not really sure why, but it has been a great story. I think I just got lucky, Gemma, I have to say. <laughs> well, take it anyway, right? There's yeah, obviously yeah, a fair bit of research that went into that luck. Was the uh, Was it the preparation meeting opportunity, that kind of story? 
I, th- I think you know when, when if if you're a, an actor, if you're Russell Crowe, you do an awful lot of backstory that you never see on the on the screen, but it just is embedded in your character, and that that comes out somehow. I think that may be what I did with BHP. <laughs> I'm sure it is. <laughs> It's. Um, I will say, it, certainly, maybe people were listening to you. I'm sure they were. There was a huge amount of buying of BHP last year, around thirty six dollars. It was absolutely ridiculous yeah, uh, with our guys. Yeah. Well, it's you know what what has been astounding is that I guess they haven't been tempted. They've been really disciplined uh, in using the money that they've been generating in not buying something silly. Uh, they've even been quite disciplined in Oz Minerals. Of course, they're trying to take that one over, but they've been quite disciplined there, not paying what the market would like them to pay, I guess. So it has been, you know, resource companies have been very disciplined this time out in this resource boom. And we have had a resource boom. You know, coal prices, uh, gas prices, energy prices generally have been uh, pretty elevated, thanks to uh, Vladimir Putin uh, to some extent. Obviously, we don't want to thank him, but no, <laughs> but no, investors have been the beneficiaries. No. Well, as long as you're in, in those sorts of stocks, yes. I mean, if you've been in Whitehaven, you have had an absolutely stonking year um, and, you know, you, you should be uh, drinking vodka. <laughs> it's um, maybe not from Russia, maybe from somewhere else, someone fin- else Finland, who makes Russia. Finland. Finnish, Finland. oh, yes, Finnish vodka. Do that much one. Better, much better. It's... Um, You've been kind enough to share some of your favourite sectors with us in the past, particularly in materials, and you've talked yep. about a great deal about BHP. Yeah. How are you seeing the rest of them play out? Well, I guess, you know, I've been very, very bullish on the lithium sector this year. I have been, uh, you know, very on board that sector, and it has been an enormous uh, it has been a very, very big run uh, in some of the lithium stocks. From lows, you know, back in June, we saw Pilbara, which is, the, I guess, the, the poster child in, in the space. Two bucks, now they're $4.50, that sort of thing. It has been, and they peaked at $5.50. So these are coming well off the top at the moment. So the lithium story has been a, a big, big story this year. I have to say lithium prices have remained massively elevated. Every now and then, the whole story gets punctured by one of the uh, the US investment banks that comes out with some forecast for the lithium price going forward, which knocks the whole sector. But given their track record in forecasting has been pretty abysmal, I'm not sure really why we listen to them, but we do. It's a very sentiment-driven story at the moment, and uh, sentiment is just slightly on the nose with that sector. But certainly, you know, I think 2023 is going to be an interesting year again for lithium. Uh, The one sector, I guess, that has missed out a little bit to some extent is the gold sector. And you would imagine that 2023, we could see one, a continuation of the the M&A activity that we're starting to see being kicked off in Western Australia. We've got Genesis and um, Dacian, that that tie up there. And now we've got uh, Genesis and St. Barbara as well, which has long, long, long been a problem child. Um, so, so that is potential for 2023 to increase. And also, as the US dollar comes down and interest rates look as if they may, well, not peak, but uh, at least the, the trajectory may slow a little bit, uh, we could see the gold price pick up. So that could be something to watch out for in 2023, that's for sure. Lithium's been super hot with mm. our investors. <laughs> there are days and weeks where I look at our numbers and I'm like, right, who doesn't 
uh, mm. lithium. But what, what is not lithium on this list at the moment? And your point about the US uh, investment banks, our guys have loved that back in April when Goldman Sachs said that yeah. uh, that it was all going to tank and prices were off 19% or something. Everyone mm. had a field <laughs> they were buying like mad and really have loved the run since then. That's been very nice. Well, Did you have any other big winners for the year? Um oh. I, 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 you know, I, the problem I guess I have is that I have I talk so much about the markets; it's hard to put your finger on it. But lithium certainly has been uh, a big winner this year. Also, stocks like Tyro have uh, done quite well for us. Uh, that takeover there, there has been some other M and A activity which has done well for us. I have to say, so it's um it's it's been an interesting. It's not been an easy year to call because, as you say. Uh, we have had bouts of uh, extreme negativity. I remember in the bleak, dark days of June when it looked like the market was going to you know, hit certainly uh, some seriously horrible levels. And, th- and then it just turned around on a sixpence uh, or maybe um, a, a $1 coin these days with inflation. But it, it did turn around very, very quickly. So um, I, th- I think, you know, really, I have a lot of people that have been very lucky with the lithium space, Liontown, uh, those sorts of stocks, BHP, as I say. Uh, we've had a little bit of luck in some of the technology stocks as well, uh, which have done well. And some of the uh, the other resource stocks, things like Chalice Mining, Calyx has been good for us over uh, some time. So there's been some good opportunities this year, but sometimes you've got to be a little bit brave uh, and, and to swim against the tide, as you say. You know, who would have thought that big shakeout in lithium uh, back in uh, May, June would have provided such a massive opportunity, which uh, really some people grasped and a lot of people uh, panicked, I guess, and uh, didn't stay the course. And maybe we're seeing that again uh, this time out. But it's going to be another interesting year, I think, for the resource space. Yeah, we'll say our guys most definitely saw that as an opportunity, that little Mm. shakeout. They were very thrilled to get another piece at that point in time. I think for a lot of our guys, the biggest challenge, uh, and actually I think that everyone would appreciate your thoughts on this, the biggest challenge is when do you take profits on some of this stuff? You know, it's run so hard and yeah. people are sitting on some pretty dramatic profits. At one point, Liontown was in our top 20 holdings wow. by value, which is fairly astonishing for a company of that size. And that's clearly a handful of people holding allocations that just went through the roof, right? And so it really skews your portfolio and you have to make some decisions about whether you're comfortable with that skew. What are your thoughts on that? Um, The problem with me, Gemma, is I'm an old options trader. I I started my career as an options trader. So I I like volatility. And when you have volatile markets as an options trader, usually when it goes up, you get longer and longer and longer. And as you say, that does manifest itself in your portfolio because effectively you do get longer and longer because your valuation of your portfolio um, increases, but also the percentage of that particular stock starts to get bigger and bigger and bigger. So for me, it's always good to take some money off the table to take profits. My old boss in London used to say, you know, they're not numbers on the doors, especially, you know, shares are for buying and selling and especially resource stocks, they are for buying and selling. And you have to know it's harder, I think, sometimes to take the profits than it is actually to gird your loins and buy them. It's it's relatively easy to buy something, uh, and then if it goes wrong, you can hope. But uh, the seller's remorse when it keeps going up can be quite great. So for me, that that is the tricky thing is to try and work out when to sell. But I do tend to sell. Maybe I sell a little bit early, 
Um, but I'm happy to sell part of a, a position as it goes up and continuing to sell into strength. You know, you can only sell when there's buyers. And as we've seen, the lithium sector is a great example. You know, the, once the sellers uh, get the upper hand, sentiment takes over and they can be pushed down to very low levels again. And you can be cursing yourself that you didn't take profits. So I'm a big believer in taking profits along the way. There's always, always opportunities to get back in if you like the story. And it may be that you keep, you know, a core position and it and you trade around that position and you know you take some profits in some and then you buy them back if they fall and take some profits again if they rise. And you trade around that position, uh, but you keep the I was going to say you keep the dream alive, but you you keep your 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 stake in the in the company, so you're still going to benefit. But I think you know I'm a big fan of taking profits along the way that they are for buying and selling, especially resource stocks. You know if you if you lock them away for years, anything could happen. You could be a very rich man or person. You could be um, you know ru ruining the day that you didn't sell out. Of Poseidon at uh, elevated levels back in the 60s. So, um, yeah, take profits along the way is, is my credo. I think that's such a helpful one. And I can't remember the specific names, but my grandmother who <laughs> died at 102 yeah. nine years ago <laughs> had wow. a whole, she was very well off. Uh, she had a whole pile of share certificates for yeah. interesting and obscure companies from the oh. 70s where clearly had not taken profits and nice. said company was now worthless uh, that were, you know, found in the bottom drawer. Well, it's you know, a... you, you can go from hero to zero very quickly in this market. You know, um, it was, I guess this year in the last few months has been dominated by the crypto talk and the FTX, you know, which has gone from valuations, which clearly were completely ridiculous of, of 8 billion US or however many zeros you want to put after it to, to zero in a matter of days. I mean, it, it, you know, it is incomprehensible, really. I know that's not a great example, but you can see how quickly sentiment can shift in these things. And you do have to take money off the table along the way. Otherwise, you will be like your grandmother and, and you'll be in for a lot of detective work trying to work out what they became when they were suspended, all that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, I'm a, I'm always a big fan of taking profits along the way, sometimes too early, but um, it's uh, small fish are sweet sometimes. Oh, I like that. Um, I will say my grandmother was, it didn't hurt her. <laughs> no, no. She, clearly they were little specky bets and it made no impact on the, uh, the long-term, no. but uh, so she was fine. That's the benefit yeah. of living to 102. There's a lot of compounding in those years. Oh. Uh, <laughs> a lot of compounding over a yeah. hundred years. Most of us don't get to see that. No, no, unfortunately not. Well, maybe, maybe fortunately not. My, my great grandmother was 104 when she died. Wow. And my wife's, uh, grandmother uh was 113 oh my goodness she was the oldest woman in new south wales for a little while yeah wow that's yeah. amazing it is it it's is. um goodness me yeah. oh there's some um, you've got some strong genes there it's only, uh, only on my wife's side. i don't think the strong genes are on my oh, side not on your side <laughs> <No>.
uh, well lived would probably not take me to 100. Yeah. <laughs> but there was always a family saying of ours, despite the longevity, was he died of a heart attack on, on the golf course. Lucky yeah. bugger. Yeah, that's right. As opposed to uh, being in the nursing home. Yes, let's not go there. So on the subject of taking profits, because I'm bringing this back now, mm. Plenty of former darlings have had a rough year, right? There's been some big names that were very popular, heady, heady days in 2021 in particular that have just crashed and burned this year. Any disappointments for you or things that you're really glad you stayed away from? Um, I guess that the Australian tech sector has been the disappointment. Things like Zero, which has you know crashed and burned, is halved pretty much this year. Um, even things as prosaic as something like Domino's, uh, has not had a great time, I guess, partly due to uh, increased wage costs, etc., and also increased input costs. It is recovering at the moment, but you know that's gone from 120 bucks to 67 bucks. And if you'd have said to me uh, at the beginning of uh, 2022, you know, Domino's is going to have an absolute shocking year, uh, zero is going to halve, uh, and our tech sector is just going to get absolutely smashed, I would have just said, "Nah, really." But, you know, that, that I think has been it's been good to to keep away from that sector. And I, I have tried to. I've been caught once or twice. Uh, and it's interesting now to look through some of the bones or some of the the, um, the the ashes, I guess, of some of these tech stocks. And they are starting to pick back up again. Of course, they have been collateral damage to some extent from the U.S. fallout. But, you know, zero, uh, I guess, is a classic example. We were all fell in love with the zero story, the whole you know, viral nature of the accounting platform and their push into the US, which seems to have been going on forever, I must say. And and we know from experience that pushes into the US can be quite expensive. It's not a cheap place to do business. So I, I think that sector, I've been lucky to avoid some of the fallout in that sector. Um, it's now starting to look a little bit more interesting, uh, I have to say, but uh, there have been some some big disappointments in some of the big stocks, I guess, this year, especially in that that side of the market that really have created. And some of that irrational exuberance we've seen in some of the stocks uh, have been extraordinary. You know, uh, even something as as um, as small as you know, big tin can. Uh, you know, that went from a dollar to fifty cents. Even Tyro, which at one stage was fifty cents back in June, is now knocking back takeover offers at a dollar sixty. So there's there's been a lot of uh, money that could have been made if you'd have been brave, but also a lot of money lost if you piled in too early, uh, as, uh, as some I'm sure have done. Yeah, it's been a challenge for those looking for uh, for the exciting growth story. If you weren't willing to uh, to go down the resources path this year, yeah. Just switching to the long term because I think it's I feel like I keep talking about this, but it, it feels so important for investors who've never seen a rate hiking cycle. Mm. how that impacts valuations and how that impacts the future prospects of what you hold or what you think you're buying. You know, we appear to be reaching a tipping point where they keep calling it a pivot, but, you know, effectively rates are either normal or close to normalizing, but the impact is not being felt dramatically yet. If you look at consumer spending, for example, confidence is terrible. Spending's fine. Yeah. 
How do you see that playing over the next sort of three to five years? I think it's worth noting it's highly unlikely rates will get cut back to where they were, right? They were emergency multi-millennia lows. <laughs> Let's assume this is normal now and what we have to get used to. How does that affect people? What should they be thinking about? Well, I, I guess we are going back to a more normalised situation. We are going to see probably somewhat um, higher rates than maybe normal. And as 2023 unfolds and we do get the spectre of a recession, uh, there will be talk that maybe we need to, uh, to to snip rates a little bit, not to maybe cut them, but just temper uh, them a little bit. And you may see the odd sort of stimulatory measure from the RBA. But I, I suspect that any Australian recession will be quite shallow. We are lucky in that we are supported by a resource sector. But there's certainly, you know, the RBA this year, has, or previous years rather, has not covered itself in glory in terms of its forecasting and those wonderful words from Phil Lowe basically saying, go out and borrow as much as you can, guys, because we've got record interest rate lows, um, if you pardon the pun, is going to come home and really bite the consumer. Some consumers, certainly first home buyers uh, that were in late to the party are going to be really feeling the pain in 2023. And that obviously is going to have a big impact on consumer spending. So uh, I suspect we are going to see uh, consumer stocks remain under pressure as we go forward. And we will have to adjust to a new, um, slightly more belt tightening environment over the next three to five years. Because what we saw, whether it was a combination of the hangover from GFC, etc., or just COVID, those massive stimulatory measures that were put in place by governments around the world, we are going to see a return to normal rates. If you look back at history, and it's interesting, if you look at the RBA website, there you, you you can compare the economic environment now to, say, the early 90s where we had interest rates. And I remember these being, I remember paying 16 17% on my mortgage in the UK, which I'd only just taken out, I have to say, um, which was a bit scary. It didn't last for long, thankfully. But uh, having borrowed to the hilt, Philip Lowe wasn't around in those days, but having borrowed to the hilt as I did, uh, that was quite painful. I did have to work a couple more jobs to uh, to keep things <laughs> juggled in the air. So, you know, I think um, we are going to see uh, a more constrained environment, maybe not such profligate spending on silly things like NFTs and crypto in the next three to five years. The housing cycle slow, but not collapse um, and more normalized because we did live through an extraordinary period of money printing, which I don't know if we're going to see for some time to come. We may see some stimulus, but I'd say no money printing. And um, we're going to have to get used to that. We're going to have to get um, uh, used to uh, slightly uh, more constrained spending, and the market will have to get used to uh, that as well. But it's interesting. I would uh, I would suggest people look at that RBA website as part of um, you can compare how the economy looked back then and if you look at where inflation is now compared to interest rates and compared to what they were in the 90s, that was when interest rates were massively higher um, to try and counter that inflation. So we're being led off quite lightly at the moment, what, 3, 3.1 or whatever it is. And we are getting led off quite lightly. So hopefully that continues. Yeah, it's a different world. I have a feeling. Uh, yeah, it is. It is. It is. Uh, and, you know, and people back in the 90s, you know, I could – when I went and got my first mortgage in the UK, you could borrow three times your salary and that was it. And then well, your house probably only costs four times your salary, right? Uh, yes. 
It probably <laughs> did. I'm just it, trying to think. Oh, well, I, I bought my first flat in London for £25,000. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, my my parents bought an apartment in Mossman with harbour glimpses, admittedly. So if anyone mm. listening who's not from Sydney, Mossman's a very, very, very top-end suburb. Yeah. And you know, it was probably in the top 10 postcodes in Australia. Uh, when my father was a student. Yes. <laughs> I know, I know. It, it's, it's, you know, things have I changed. I don't know. We we can all do the Monty Python. You know, you tell that to kids today, they wouldn't believe you. <laughs> it's luxury. You know, we had to lick road clean and all that. But you know, it was, it was, um, I, you know, it was a struggle. The twenty five thousand quid that I paid for this flat was, I think, I was earning about six or seven thousand pounds. Yeah. Um, so you know, it, it it was it was a struggle in those days, and then I bought a house for sixty, which was extraordinary. And oh, yeah. what's even more extraordinary is I sold it for a hundred and thought I did really well. It's now worth about one point five million quid. So we won't go there. <laughs> <laughs> but every every generation is going to have those those tales to tell. They're um, gonna but- yes. Well, I feel like this generation though will have plenty of tales because I genuinely think we will. We, we will. Lucky. We will write quantitative easing in the last 15 years into the history yeah. books and people studying economics will be like, what the hell was going on? What were you people doing? What, what were you thinking? I mean, yeah. NFTs, what were you thinking? Oh, there'll be so many. What Dogecoin, were what were you? Th- I mean, oh, yeah. Elon Musk makes up a cryptocurrency or buys it himself and it, it, it becomes mainstream. What, what were you thinking? I mean, really? Are you nuts? I'm, I'm sure so if aliens came, we <laughs> I'm sure if aliens came down to, to the the planet now and looked around, just go, really? Is this you know what? What are you thinking? We're still arguing about climate change. We haven't worked that one out yet. It's anyway, but uh, yeah, I think we're you know I think we're going to just have to get used to a more normalised economy um, and maybe you know just be a little more patient. We. We will have to grow slightly slower and we won't have that stimulus. Hopefully we won't have any more viruses and uh, that uh, associated problems, but it's, it's going to be more normal, I think. Hopefully no more wars as well. Well, hopefully, yes. That's um, that's always obviously a big macro risk, which is out of the hands of most investors. And, and you know, you, you can't, all you can do is uh, react if something does happen. But as we've seen from Russia and Ukraine, there, there are winners, unfortunately, from conflict. And, and there are obviously losers like the poor Ukrainian people, but some companies do well if you if you look at it from an investment point of view. Whitehaven and, and that sector has done extraordinarily well. It's a uh, it's a real challenge. As we yeah. head into New Year, so everyone's thinking about their New Year's resolutions. We're all going to make up a whole lot of stuff we're definitely going to do this year, eat less, drink less alcohol, go to the gym more often, all those yeah. sorts of things. Yep, yeah. same every year. Every year. Every year. Yeah. What advice do you have for investors as we come into this start? Um, I, I think um, I think just lower your expectations. 2023 is going to be another volatile year. I suspect there will be more wobbles. 
Um, and there will be more talk in 2023 of, I think the S word will appear, the stagflation, where we have entrenched inflation, which has just kind of started to be embedded higher than the 2 to 3% everybody uh, has always wanted. And we are going to get uh, global growth easing. So I think people have to uh, get used to some of the volatility surrounding that narrative. We are going to see the Fed, uh, they're not going to pivot, but they may pause. Uh, and uh, we may see the RBA reach their terminal rate, which is where they cause as much terminal damage as they possibly can, uh, sooner rather than later, which would be good for our economy. And I think, you know, the, the story of 2023 could be China reopening. Uh, that, that's certainly not as easy in, the, in China as it has been in the West, but that will give the global economy a little bit of a boost. And depending on how that goes, it's not as easy uh, if you've been told for three years that you're going to die if you set foot outside your, your apartment, um, it's quite hard to turn that on straight away and say, oh, that's no, safe now. You can just pop out and get to go to the shops and go and do what you want. So I think that's going to be a 2023 story and just more normal um, normalization, I, I guess, in terms of uh, rates. But we are going to have volatility. There will be concerns about how earnings have been affected uh, by the inflationary impacts. So far, they haven't been to, an, to a large extent. Companies have been able to pass on those increases, and that has uh, benefited their margins. We've seen that, especially in the banks. So uh, I, I think we are going to see more volatility, but you should use that volatility as opportunities, uh, and but get used to the volatility, because unfortunately, I, I think we've, um, we've entered a period in markets where there is so much uncertainty about whether the Federal Reserve or the RBA can perform the uh, the double pike with a twist soft landing um, with um, with sort of the um, difficulty factor of 3.9 that um, really and truly uh, it's going to be a tough year again. Um, but if you pick the right stocks, you could do very well as you have done in 2022. I think it's going to be about stock picking rather than ETF exposure. Yes, I think this year has been very telling on that mm. front. Yeah. Henry Marcus today, you guys provide research for investors. You often provide commentary in the media on all the sectors you've been talking about and more. Where can people go to find out more about Marcus today and the work you guys are doing? Um, well, they can go. Thanks, Gemma. They can go to marcustoday.com.au. There's a, a page there you can sign up for a free trial and we'd love to have you uh, give us a go. We try and say it as it is uh, rather than sugarcoat things. And um, that doesn't always uh, sit well with some people, but we uh, we are independent. We're not beholden to anyone. And we have been, unfortunately, Gemma, around for some time. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. You might get to 113. Yeah, but I hope that by then I wouldn't be, um, well, it would be lovely to be talking to you at, at that age. But, <laughs> but I hope that we're long retired and sitting on a veranda somewhere, drinking a very good glass of red, and reminiscing about the good old days because um, there has been some good old days, that's for sure. But um, yes, it's um, I, I have been around a long, long time. Probably should be, um, I'll, I'll be around for a little longer, I think, I hope. Anyone who missed our last conversation, you should go and listen to Henry talking about trading in the pits because it was awesome. Uh, <laughs> it's a uh, great, uh, great insight into how you develop skills that are much harder to develop when you're only looking at a screen, right? I know. I, I, I learned how to read upside down at a very early age. Uh, <laughs> 
because you had to read the prices upside down from the people that you asked the prices from on the London Stock Exchange floor. And I also learned to listen to two or three conversations at once in the pits, uh, which drives my wife absolutely nuts. But um, yeah, really useful life skills, upside down reading and, and dual uh, well, we've got two ears, so one listens to one conversation, one listens to the uh, to another. So, yes, that that was about it, actually. I think. <laughs> <laughs> that so hopefully, you could read the trades. Let's say that's what you learned. Yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> that was all part of growing up in in those sorts of times. Henry Jennings from Marcus today. Thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure, Gemma, and have a great Christmas, everyone. Thank you so much for listening also. And as Henry says, have an awesome Christmas and New Year. As always, we love hearing from you. We get fantastic feedback from you guys. We love hearing your questions and topics you'd like us to cover, who you love as a guest. Please just email us at yourwealthatnab.com.au and I look forward to talking to you again soon. I'm Gemma Dale. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Your Wealth with Gemma Dale. To stay up to date, please subscribe to this podcast series or email us at yourwealth at nab.com.au. Please note that any advice provided in this podcast has been prepared without taking into account your objectives, financial circumstances or needs. Before acting, you should consider the appropriateness of the information. To find out more, please visit nab.com.au.